What's up, guys? Actual hockey is here, and so is Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, J.J. Jerez, with me, Arif Dean of Mile High Sports. We're both here to break down some actual hockey being played. It's been a while, and it's nice, refreshing that we actually got to hear the sounds and sights of training camp and even two preseason games Back to back yesterday, I guess, Arif, let's just start with your thoughts on having two training or two preseason games on the exact same day. Not only that, on a Sunday when they're up against the NFL, which is typically a no no from the NHL. I want to start with the fact that you called whatever the hell we watched yesterday as actual hockey. That's where I want to start. Well, it is it is actual <laughs> hockey. I, mean, I know you, you can I watch know. you can watch an E League men's league game and it's still actual hockey. It's just not going to be that great. You know hockey. what's sad. We were sitting in the press box, and, you know, when you go from sitting at Ball Arena, like the last game at Ball Arena, think back to Game 5 and how damn good a hockey game that was. Avalanche trailed one nothing, tied at 1-1, I think trailed 2-1, tied at 2-2, then Tampa made it 3-2 and ended up winning that game, and it was just a hard-fought, right-to-the-bitter-end type of game. The game pr- prior to that was a 7 to nothing slashing, like they destroyed them. Like, the kind of hockey we were watching at that arena in June— <laughs> And then it was a two-on-one with, like, Zhirailov and, you know, Bokaj or something like that. And it was just so different. And it was, like, at times we were making jokes about the level of hockey, which, like, is a very normal thing. Like, it's a preseason. We're not trying to bash anybody specifically. And I know I just used those two names. But, like, it's a preseason. Players aren't going to go hard in the preseason for a reason. No one wants to get hurt um, except for one player, which we'll talk about. That went pretty hard yesterday. But... It was like, this is so boring. Let's watch the TVs and watch the Broncos game instead. And the Broncos game was like preseason level football, <laughs> but it was the third week of the regular season. The score was seven to five at one point. They got a touchdown. Like I, I'm curious if there's a stat for how many times an NFL team has finished with 11 points, because that's a very hard number to get to. So it was just a very strange night all around. Uh, the man of the match yesterday was absolutely JT Comfer. Just a veteran move scoring with six minutes left to stop the game from going to overtime because there's two rules in preseason, JJ. Do you know what those two rules are? Don't get hurt. Yes. And What's no overtime. One? For the love of God, no overtime. It's good for the reporters. <laughs> it's good for uh, for the media. It's good for the players. Nobody wants to be there for overtime. Like, we were already there till 11 o'clock. So... Um, but now to actually answer your question, it was very strange. The Avalanche never have split squad games. Uh, but what I do know about the preseason is the preseason is very similar to like college athletics where the coaches and the teams kind of like hit up the other teams. And it's like, hey, Billy, you know, Bill Guerin. Hey, Billy, uh, you guys want to play like, you know, the 25th at 2 p.m.? How does that sound? Is your arena open? Ours isn't. Is yours? Okay, cool. Yeah, let's do it in Minnesota. So like it's not a league setup thing. Teams actually set up their own preseason games. I think... That, you know, it's not that it's actually Bill Guerin or Kelly McCrimmon that talk, but like whoever from the Golden Knights was talking to whoever from the Avalanche were like, yeah, let's do uh, uh, Monday the 26th or or sorry, Monday the 25th. And it turned out that the 25th was actually Sunday. So the Avalanche <laughs> double booked themselves, ended up having a game the same time as a Sunday night football game in the same city. So now you have like 7000 hockey fans coming to Ball Arena getting stuck in traffic of 65,000 Denver Broncos fans. It was just a mess. Yeah, and to your point of the effort thing, I guess, I I, I look at JT Confer's goal that he scored, and it was almost like he was forced to shoot that, right? It's like he didn't want to shoot it. He was looking for a pass, but 
the shot was there. The 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 hole over the goalie's shoulder was there, and he's like, you know what? I'm just gonna see if I can hit this corner. Blink, hit it. But he he really put no effort to it. His feet were standing still. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it was a power play, right? So he had the yeah, space, he had the time, and yeah, it just didn't look like uh, he tried very hard to get that goal. But <laughs> a great goal it was. I mean, it's not it's not as easy as he made it look to hit that corner there. Yeah, it uh, it was on their I want to say their sixth string goalie in Yori Letteri or Letera or something like that. Uh, let's see if I can get this. I'm not even including Robin Leonard in this, who's not going to play this season. It's it's in no particular order. Brossois, uh, Aiden Hill, and Logan Thompson. And then after that, it's Michael Hutchinson, and then it's this guy. That's their fifth-string goalie. So, And if you add Leonard, it's the sixth goalie on the depth chart in Vegas. Uh, unless he's better than Hutchinson, which who knows. But it was still a sick shot. Like You shouldn't be able to score that kind of a shot. And and uh, shout out to JT for getting that done on one of nine power plays the Avalanche had. So even the refs are in are in midseason or preseason form right now, I should say. Yeah, and just I guess Denver fans were doomed for boring something, whether it was football or, or the Avalanche game that you were paying attention to, because that was a one nothing game heading into the third period, just a snooze fest on top of the thirty minute delay that they already threw on top of it. But I think there are some good things we can point out about that game, right? I, I want to get into Alexander Georgiev. We really his first action, of course, as you pointed out, not exactly in front of a, an NHL group, but still helps to get some assessment, some more analysis of him more than we've just seen in in training camp. So, that being said, what were your thoughts takeaways in Georgiev's half a game that he played before they put Jonas Johansson? Well, let's first get to the hard-hitting stuff that matters is all we talked about last year was how fun it was to watch Darcy Kemper during the national anthem. Uh, the Darcy Georgiev dance. Is, yeah, the Darcy dance. Georgiev is like Frankie. He lines up on the blue line, like midget hockey style. Uh, he's just a little guy. He's, a, he's Compared to Darcy Kemper and even Grubauer, he's a little guy. And he lines up right there by the team. Uh, so that's cool. Seeing number 40 on a goalie is always different, especially in Denver where you connect number 40 to guys like Alex Tangay and Merrick Spatos and players like that. Uh, I remember with Varley, when he got traded here, uh, he went with number one, but I know he had worn number 40 with Washington at some point, so I was really curious if he would do that. But in terms of his game, I mean, he looked settled in. It's it's preseason against a Vegas team that wasn't really playing many noticeable or notable names. Um, so he was fine. There was a shot from uh, Cotter, I want to say, that that beat him on the power play. It was a very clean shot. Um Maybe one you want him to save, but like it's it's preseason. It's so hard to really of all the positions, like a goaltender is so hard to gauge in preseason hockey. Yeah, for sure. And and the one goal that he let up that went off what was it the crossbar and then off his back. I mean that that's not something you can really break down at all, right? What was the error there? Uh, I guess just the ricochet from the puck. That, Nothing he yeah. could have done about that. So, um, yeah, I guess as far as a first outing, you like to see the the minimal goals against. And, um, yeah, so far he's passing the test, right? But it wasn't enough of a, of a test to really deem anything or, or make any decisions one way or another. But it's good to see him get out there, good to see him do at least decently. And, um, yeah, he'll just com- continue to build off that as the team in front of him gets better and better throughout time. Because, you know, training camp's over, but – the, all the cuts have yet to be made. They still got about what a week or a week and a half to go with these this group of guys, and and cuts continue to be made. So the the full team we won't really get to see until opening night, and that's when the judgment I think really begins on a guy like Georgiev. I mean, absolutely. That's that's when it's going to start to matter. And I mean, just look at the players that were playing yesterday. His defense, you know, it had Bowen Byram, but 
after that, not much else. You had Jacob McDonald there. You had uh, Danila Zhirailov, which I'm sure I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly. Um, and and that were that was about the most notable names that even played on defense. So uh, other than that, I think it was Nate Clerman they had, uh, Keaton Middleton, uh, Curtis McDermott, I want to say, was also in there. So those are your six D-men. So that's not exactly the defense he's going to be playing in front of on opening night. So outside of Bowen Byram, there's going to be quite a few different names on there. So it's it's really hard to judge a goalie. Um, it's just nice to see him kind of getting his feet wet. And he made a good point yesterday after the game where he said game action is always going to be different than practice. And, uh, you know, training camp is what it is. It's practice. You're skating with your own teammates and, and at least against the Golden Knights, even though it's, you know, Keegan Colazar and Brett Howden and a bunch of people that we don't really know much about, at least it's another team that doesn't know you, that isn't your teammate or your buddy taking it easy on you in practice. It's a game setting. It at least gives you a little bit of an opportunity to kind of shake off the cobwebs. Would you go as far as calling it real hockey? I don't know. Uh, uh, we'll see. I'll, I'll, I'll debate that one later. I guess, uh, I'm not, yeah. I'm not there yet. Let's just look at the top line the Avalanche were using, right? And uh, I think right there you can you can kind of break down that it's not exactly real hockey. It's JT Confer on it, uh, Evan Rodriguez, and that's who we want to get into. Who, who was the third member of that top line? Oscar Olsson. Oscar Olsson. Um, so, yeah, ha- having those guys be your top line says everything you need to know about, about what game one of preseason. I guess technically game two. But Evan Rodriguez is the guy I wanted to get into next. Uh, it sounds like he had a pretty good game and just came out of the gate buzzing and, and just out to prove something, it seems like. Yeah, so he had eight shot attempts, four on target, two uh, two on f- four on target, two blocked, two that missed the net. He had a block shot. He had a couple takeaways, which was nice. You know, the only player on the Avalanche with a with a couple of turnovers like that. Um, he played over twenty minutes, I believe. Twenty thirteen was his final time on ice on the power play. Had some time on the PK. So there was a couple things. Number one, he was skating hard, and uh, during the second period, he even drew a penalty because he got kind of buried into the boards by whoever Zachary Hayes is and he like wobbled off straight to the locker room and I was like "Uh uh-oh preseason injury rule number one of preseason don't get hurt and obviously it led to a two-minute boarding penalty on the Vegas Golden Knights and they the Avalanche sent out a power play unit and then the very first line change they had on the power play out comes Evan Rodriguez so he came back if you're coming back in a preseason game after missing you know 45 seconds of game action you're fine. So I don't think even as a precaution, if it was anything that was like a little bit of him being banged up, he wouldn't have skated again, but he did. Uh, So that was cool to see him come back, but he was just skating really hard. It looked almost as if he wasn't a $2 million forward, uh, you know, with a guaranteed roster spot. It almost was as if like he was Alex Galchenyuk on a PTO trying to fight and prove a point that he belongs. It was it was really cool to see that because he had a lot of fire and fire in his belly, as you like to say, and a lot of energy, and it's it's cool to see that. Yeah, I, I like hearing that for sure, and it sounds like he's really trying to make a statement as like, hey, guys, I'm here, and I'm here to take on a big role. Um, I guess after our conversation last week, I, I failed to think about it this way, and now that you brought up the eight shots again, I, I'm think, starting to think about it again. I like the fact that he's putting the puck on the net and that's what he's yeah. focusing, right? But I guess does any part of you get worried about that shooting percentage? No, no. Um not necessarily because something that you can't gauge in shooting percentage is how many rebounds is he generating. You know, it's it's that's not something that is 
traced or, or tracked on on the NHL stats page is, you know, if he's taken 200 shots and only scoring, let's say, I don't know, 14 goals, which is a clear 7% shooting percentage, uh, how many of those 186 shots that he took that didn't go in ended up being rebounds that either led directly to goals or a rebound that either led directly to a player who was going to score but drew a penalty or something like that. So it's it's a very stupid thing, but it's like, what's, what's the Wayne Gretzky quote? The more shots you, well, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And when the shot's on goal, when you're getting the puck to the net, it's only going to lead to good things. Uh, in the end, hockey is played on ice with this black rubber thing that bounces around. You know, how many of those... 7% goals that he scores weren't actually clear shots, but maybe a deflection off some guy's skate or something. So I don't really necessarily have an issue with it unless he's missing the net, the puck's ringing around the boards and going the other way for a two-on-one. Like, yeah, if you're getting the puck on goal, it can only lead to good things. Yeah, exactly. Get the puck on net and good things happen. That's a common saying, right? But as long as he's not passing up backdoor chances, right? Back backdoor tap-in chances, and he's not passing up his teammates, which I don't think he is considering the amount of assists he gets. So I, I think he's just a, a, a really smart hockey player, and, and he knows when to shoot, when to pass, and we can rest our hats on that. But, you know, I, I'd be weary of him getting so many shots on net every single game if, if he, you know, if they, if they don't start finding the back of the net. You know, that's actually a good point and something that I am going to keep an eye on for the next one is, is – is he, how many of his shots, if any, is he forcing? And, and that's something that I'll keep an eye on next time. You know, he had eight shots, four of them on target. So he didn't have eight shots on goal, only four on goal. Two missed the net, two blocked. I believe a couple other Avalanche players also had eight. Oscar Olison and uh, Jacob McDonald and JT Comfer, I'm pretty sure was at nine. So, you know, of all the shot attempts the Avalanche had, which I think was 57, uh, I just gave you about 40 of them. It was from four players. So... Uh, good to see that coming from from Evan Rodriguez. Uh, the other thing that I want to talk about with that line is the fact that JT Comfer was on the left wing and Evan Rodriguez was at center. So what I take away from that is, look, we know Alex Newhook's getting that first big look, and we know that that's the guy in an ideal world. That's the guy you want stepping up. If Newhook becomes a 60-point player this year or a 50-point player as your second-line center, you're gold. Like, it now makes it a little bit easier to, you know, to fathom the fact that you had to lose Nazem Kadri for nothing. So the most important thing for me with playing Rodriguez at center is if Newhook, well, if Landeskog is healthy and if Newhook's your second line center, Rodriguez is going to be slotting in on that third line. More likely than not, Rodriguez will be playing left wing or right wing while Confer's the center. We know that JT Confer's your third line center and that's not going to change. But what I thought was cool from him playing center and Comfort left wing was Jared Bednar and obviously Greg Cronin ran the bench yesterday, the AHL coach, trying to see what they have in Rodriguez as a center just in case Newhook's not ready. You know that he's a Swiss Army knife forward. You can play him on the, at center or on the wing. Uh, but you want to know what you have from him in center because if Newhook doesn't develop into that role by November or whenever, uh, you need a guy to go up there. And, and if you're going to just play Rodriguez at left wing the whole time, you don't really know what you have from him there. Yeah, I think that's a good assessment. I mean, why, why not use this time to really gauge what you have and, and push the limits? You know what you have in JT Confer. Why not see what you can do? Uh, if you have to force him to play wing. And that's that's the benefit of having these players at the Avalanche acquire, right? All of them know how to play center. And then on top of that, you throw in the way that they structure. And I think, you know, I think we, we perhaps talk about 
who's playing center, who's playing left, who's playing right, a little bit too much as as fans and media because structurally, you know, they've got F1, F2, F3, first guy in the zone goes, you know, and, and plays a certain position, and, and that's how they run it that way, right? They just run it accordingly to how at what point did you cross the blue line, whether it's offense or defense. And, yeah, throughout the sustained pressure of a defensive possession, or I guess while the offense has the puck, abs are playing defense, then yeah, things kind of start to get a little bit more positional. But as far as just simple back and forth of the game, I mean, they have this structure down pat that they, I don't think they look as far into who's at center as much as we do, other than just simply taking draws. It's really interesting because over the last decade, this sport has gone a little bit away from the, you know, the importance of positions at forward, but alternatively, it now matters more than ever to be a right shot or a left shot D man. Like when growing up was left defenseman, right defenseman, ever a thing that was never a thing. It became a thing when Mike Babcock started coaching team Canada because with the Red Wings, he had six left-hand shooters with Rafalski and Lidstrom and all these other guys that they had and Brad Stewart and Nicholas Cronwall. They were all left-handed shooters in the years where the Red Wings were, you know, a Stanley cup contender every year in the early 2000, late 2000s, early 2010s. Then he coaches team Canada and he was taking guys like Dan Hughes because, you know, he's a right or left shot and Jay Bomeister and all these like lesser named guys because of the position that they play on defense. So forward has kind of gotten to this like forward, forward, forward thing rather than, you know, left wing, right wing and center while defense it matters more than ever. It's just interesting to see that how the game has evolved. Yeah, and we see it right here with this team, right? With Miko Rantanen, I mean, he's a, he's a right winger, but how often do we see him jump into the center role and whether that's on his own line or somebody else's line and you know, we you've got seven centers playing wing or center somewhere in the in the lineup. So, yeah, I mean, just having the defense or having the team built the way they have it and the structure that they play, I just think it's clear that they're not paying that much attention, and they're just going yeah. going with effort and going with style. Yeah, I mean, let me ask you this. Without Nazem Kadri, who's the best face-off guy on this team? I'd say right now it's Landeskog, Comfer, one Bingo. of those two. Yeah, and what position does Landeskog play? Right. <laughs> Case in point. Exactly. So, um, yeah, there's, let's see, Georgiev Rodriguez. I think the other guy we're watching right now is Martin Kaut, right? He got some time yesterday at home. I think it was a, a bit of a surprise where we, when we saw him move from the group two at training camp up to group one, getting a look there, uh, mainly because Miko Rantanen had a maintenance day, but still there was a hole to be filled, and they filled it with Martin Kaut. So giving him an opportunity at preseason and giving him an opportunity at training camp, what has he done with the opportunity so far? Do you find him flourishing, or do you think you know the, the worst is on its way for Martin Kaut? It's still a work in progress. Look, I know Jared Bednar had some. Jared Bednar said a lot about Martin Kaut by not saying much about Martin Kaut last week when he was asked about him. He was kind of very, you can tell if Jared Bednar had some truth serum in him, he was going to say something along the lines of like, this is his last chance and he better take advantage of it or else. Like that's ultimately the message he was trying to get across for a player that was drafted 16th overall in 2018. 12 months before Alex Newhook was drafted 16th overall in 2019. Look at the difference in the trajectory of those two guys. It's very reminiscent to Miko Rantanen going 10th overall, Tyson Jost going 10th overall. Just the difference in those two guys a year apart. So with Martin Kaut, Greg Cronin actually, you know, first time we ever got to talk to him, the, the, the Eagles coach, first time I personally ever got to talk to him after the game yesterday, um, he said something along the lines of that Martin Kaut is a player that is physically mature, 
but and mentally mature. And he said, you know, ever since we've gone and we've had him for a good five years now, he's been both of these things. But emotionally, he's not that mature. And the sense where you he he said something along the lines of when something happens, you can tell it bothers him or it brings him down or whatever. And and that's the kind of player he is. You know, he started off on the right foot yesterday at, at Ball Arena in that game against the Golden Knights. And then he takes a minor penalty. And it was in the offensive zone, 185 feet away from his net. And if if Jared Bednar was there, which I think he was, he was an eye in the sky at, at Ball Arena. That's the exact type of shit that he doesn't like about Martin Kelt. Serves a penalty. The avalanche kill it off. Comes out 10 minutes later, takes another minor penalty back checking. So that's just the the, the inconsistencies in his game. And, and it was another thing that Greg Cronin mentioned. I asked him, what is it about Martin Kaut's game that you see that needs to develop for him to be an NHL regular? And he mentioned the emotion thing. And then he said, you know, I think Peter Ball followed it up with something about, is it consistency? And he said, the word that I like to use is reliability. If you have three forwards or if Jared has three forwards and they get called for icing, he needs to trust three, three forwards are going to take care of that defensive zone face off and get the puck out of the zone without icing it again. Reliability is that big word. Right now, that reliability is not there. And, and I think that's the biggest thing is we're about to see, you know, is Martin Kaut going to come in and take advantage of an opportunity? Is he going to get better at the AHL? Or is this going to be a thing where by December 1st, he's either waived, which actually I take that back because I don't know if he's waiver eligible yet. And I haven't looked into that yet. Um, or he gets traded for like a fifth round draft pick or something like that. So um, We'll see what happens, but it was just really fascinating to hear what Greg Cronin said about it because he 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 nailed it like perfectly. And obviously that's been his head coach for the last few years in the AHL, so he obviously knows him best. Yeah, you feel bad for the guy too, right? Because those aren't those aren't necessarily boneheaded mistakes. Those are penalties that he's getting uh, kind of trying to to put in effort and trying to put in some hustle and he's just kind of doing it the wrong way and that's what you get out of Martin Kaut and that's what's unfortunate for him is you spend the whole game waiting for waiting for him to do something great and he ends up doing something wrong not only that he'll do it twice like you, you just spent his we've all spent his whole career just waiting for him to make that next step waiting for him to do something worthy of a first round pick and all he kind of does is leave you with negative thoughts in your mind uh, on takeaways from his game. Yeah, and, and it was something he even mentioned, and we already know this about how much he leans on Pavel Francouz, being from the Czech Republic and you know playing on a big sheet of ice, coming here, playing on a smaller ice rink. And he talked a lot about that, and he has in Greg Cronin, but um, there's just something there that's that's not working and and it's unfortunate you know this is a player that the avalanche were relying on and i'm not saying by any means he's a bust or he's not going to make it but at this point it's looking a little grim you know some of the guys that were taken after him in the first round um nils lundquist of the new york rangers who was just traded to the dallas stars for a first round draft pick rasmus sandin who's a very serviceable nhl defenseman top four defenseman Jacob Bernard Docker, the Ottawa Senators, who's one of their best prospects and will likely be a regular. And my favorite one, Keandre Miller, big defenseman out of out of the Rangers. So the Avalanche lost an opportunity on a lot of guys taking Martin Cout at 16th overall. And it's going to be unfortunate if or when they have to pretty much offload this guy for, you know, next to nothing. Fifth round draft pick might be a pipe dream at that. Just missing that wow factor, really. That wow factor for me. Um, with that, let's get into Oscar Olison. We brought him up as getting a chance with the top line, Evan Rodriguez and JT Confer. Is he seizing the moment and take, making the best of his opportunities right now that they're giving him? 
So there is obviously still a little more shine on him than Martin Kaut because of the year he was drafted, 2021, compared to 2018. If in three years from now, Allison is still fighting, we'll probably have a similar conversation about him as we are about Martin Kaut. But what I saw with the Avalanche giving him that opportunity is, look, in a flat salary cap world, and this is something you learn really quickly and why the Tampa Bay Lightning have been successful, as you lose players, you need to replace them with guys on ELCs entry-level contracts. The fact that Ross Colton came out of nowhere, scored a Stanley Cup winning goal in 2021, making less than a million dollars, that's what you need. You can't sign three or four Evan Rodriguez's making two million to fill out your middle six. You gotta have guys that can step in. That's what they wanted in Martin Kaut. That's probably what they want in Shane Bowers. Um, They just haven't been getting that. So Oscar Olison, given that he's the big you know, prospects still left in the system after trading the two defensemen in Barron and Hellison. This is a guy that the Avalanche know that over the next 12 to 24 months, especially as McKinnon's $12.6 million kicks in, you're going to need a guy like that. And it's also why that they were so excited and happy that they won the Ben Myers sweepstakes is knowing that you have another guy there that's making less than a mil on an ELC. So I think the Avalanche are giving a lot of opportunity to him. Uh, and they've been kind of you know, treating his development very seriously, knowing that they'll need him down the line uh, a little bit quicker than other prospects that can take some time to flourish because of that flat cap for at least one more season, or I should say two more seasons. Um, because what was the very first thing they did? They brought him in from Europe and they put him into uh, the OHL. They got him with the Barry Colts and uh, they wanted him to get used to playing on, on that uh, smaller sheet of ice, not the international ice. And then he ended the season with the Eagles, and now he's going to have another another opportunity to play for Greg Cronin's team in Loveland. So uh, I thought it was really great to see him getting that top-line role. He has a good shot. He's fast, and, and he's got a lot of confidence. He's a lot of swagger to him. It was fun to talk to him afterward, and he's somebody that as of right now looks like he's he's primed for the NHL in the future. And you get this time to experiment with him, right? Much like Evan Rodriguez at center, you throw Olison with some top-line esque guys and and see what he's got i mean as much as we all hate the preseason there are some benefits to it and that's one of them Get, throwing some guys to the fire when not when it doesn't necessarily mean much for you know anything record wise or whatever yeah Any for sure i mean yeah that's the biggest thing is of all the young guys on forward and that includes alex bocage who's got a killer shot by the way but you know he scored on the power play on that one timer um of all those forwards including martin kaut the only non-regular that played with two NHL forward regulars was Allison. He got to play with JT Comper and Evan Rodriguez. So he didn't play with Comper and some other guy primed for the AHL or some other guy that's going down to the juniors. He got a real taste of playing with, not against NHL competition all the time, but on a line with NHL guys, especially someone like JT Comfort that knows what it means to win and someone like Evan Rodriguez who's, who's a 40-point forward in the NHL. Yep, all part of the process, right? Let's get him some games with these guys, get him some games back in the AHL, and, and you know, he's probably slotted for some call-ups once they once he's needed. Um, let's take a quick second and talk about our friends over at Superbook. Guys, football is back, and nobody is more excited than your friends at Superbook Sports. Superbook is bringing Vegas-style wagering to the palm of your hands, and now they will match 100% of your first bet up to $1,000, no matter if the bet wins or loses. It gets matched. You don't have to be at the stadium to enjoy football this fall. Visit Superbook.com or download the Superbook Colorado app right now and start getting in on all the action. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. 
zero zero Superbook Sports. Um, yeah, I guess that's all from from the preseason games. We got more ahead. All we really got to assess is one because the one in Minnesota wasn't televised. We didn't get to really do much diving or analyzing of that, but we did get to see three days of training camp and just going to put a bow on it and wrap that up. I guess the biggest thing from training camp right now are are the injuries that are still at hand, and I don't think they're really surprising, and we kind of talked about them all offseason and kind of expected the exact ones that are here, maybe even a few more. So um, your, your, I guess, overall thought on the injuries and just what the Avalanche have to do to kind of juggle these and, and make things work heading into the, the regular season here. So the, the Darren Helm injury doesn't concern me as much, and that's not like a shot at Darren Helm. That's He's a player that we know when he enters a lineup will be ready to rock and roll. And, uh, you know, you can replace him right now with a couple of those guys. It gives an opportunity to guys like Anton Bleed and Lucas Sedlak to see what they have. The interesting or the fascinating part to me is without Nichushkin and Landeskog, and Nichushkin could be ready for opening night, so we don't know yet if he's going to miss time. And we also know that last year he was injured a lot, and when he came back from his injury because he played 62 regular season games— Whenever he came back, he was effective. He played 52 games. I think the Avalanche won 41 of those in the regular season, and then they were 16-4 and in the playoffs. So the dude had like an 800 winning percentage all year last year, just phenomenal numbers. So if you look at the injuries to Landeskog and Nachushkin, plus you take into account that Burakovsky and Kadri are both gone, now what you basically have is your top line, you have Arturi Lekkinen, who's never had 40 points before, but if you remember when I asked Jared Bednar about him the other day, this is a player that we believe will obviously break those numbers. When the Avalanche first acquired Andre Burakovsky, he had nowhere close to those kind of numbers as he did in Denver. The Avalanche do a really good job of scouting and finding those players that are primed to take that next step, and and you know Lekkinen is one. He's never scored 20 goals. He's never had 40 points, but he's going to do it this year. I'm pretty confident about that, at least a 40 points one. So... You got Rantanen, you got McKinnon, you have this guy. After that, it's a lot of question marks. It's Evan Rodriguez, who's coming off a 43-point year, who isn't necessarily a top six forward, but could be one in a pinch. It's Alex Newhook, who um, you know, might take that next step, might need more time to develop. You got Galchenyuk on a PTO. You got JT Comfer, who we know isn't a top six forward, but if you need to use him, you can. And basically what it reminds me of is... The summer of 2019, the Avalanche had McKinnon, Ranton, and Landeskog, and not much else. They had to trade Kerfoot to bring in Kadri. They had Tyson Jost, who hadn't taken that next step. They had Carl Soderberg, who was on his last legs in the NHL. And then, like, Matt Nieto playing big minutes, and Blake Como, and, and Matt Calvert playing big minutes. It was just a whole bunch of top line and everybody else. Without Landeskog, without Nachushkin, with all of these question marks— it's looking more like the Avalanche might have to rely on McKinnon and Rantanen a ton like they used to have to back in those days before that summer where they brought in Donskoy and Berkey and Kadri and Nichushkin. So uh, that's, I think, the most intriguing part. Not that I'm saying the sky is falling. Not that I'm saying that it's a huge deal. We saw how they started the season last year. We saw how they recovered afterward. Uh, but it's just interesting to see, not that their depth has gone down, but the clear divide between the top guys and the rest. There's no more, you know, Burakovsky and Kadri were like those players that kind of connected the bottom of the lineup to the top of the lineup. They don't seem to have a lot of that anymore, at least 
you know, when the Chushkin and Landis got injured, they don't. Yeah, you're right. It's a little bit eyebrow raising. You look at uh, the other day at camp. What was it? Saturday that day, Rantanen did get his maintenance day. Suddenly, the top line that you were left with was McKinnon with Lekkinen and Rodriguez, and there you're basically kind of all the leftovers that are supposed to fill out your second and third line, you're having to shove up to the first line because of Landeskog and Ranton and being out, and there's not really much left anywhere else. So if this continues to be a problem throughout the season, it's going to be tough. I mean, it's going to be a harder road than we anticipate if guys are falling in and out of the lineup because they're tired, there's still some lingering injuries from the playoffs last year. I mean, it's going to be tough to say that this team's going to be in contention for a President's Trophy, again, if, if that's the situation. But I think we can also just keep in mind that the defensive group is mostly the reason that this team is so great, right? Yeah, that's a good point. And I remember last year at one point when Kadri was on just one of his tears, and I took a second to say, Arif, how much do you think Kadri's success is based off K.O. McCarr starting to play, you know, hundred yeah. on the other end of the rink, yep. and, and then the plays might be starting on Kale's stick? So I think they're still going to have that weapon uh, in their back pocket. And I think the more time that these guys spend with the team, the more comfortable they're going to get and eventually blossom because I like the point you just made. And you make it all the time. When we were heading into last season, everybody thought that the Avalanche were taking a step backwards having lost Brandon Saad and Jonas Donskoy, and they ended up taking a step forward. So what, what stop, what's preventing any of us from thinking that that's going to happen again? Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, look, Arturi Lekkinen, in terms of like his regular season numbers, is going to take a big step this year. Nachushkin took that big step last year. Rodriguez should. Rodriguez should and Newhook should. Mm -hmm. Those are the two that stick out to me. And then there's still a couple of other question marks. Like last year, all of the Avalanche question marks from opening night ended up being like thumbs up, except for Tyson Jost. He didn't take that step. He ended up getting traded to clear up cap space to bring in Nico Sturm and Cagliano. So... Pretty much everybody else, like Logan O'Connor took a step. Uh, McKinnon continued to do his McKinnon thing. Rantanen continued to do his Rantanen thing. We mentioned it last episode. Gabe Landeskog scored 41 goals in 71 games last year. Playoffs and regular season. Gabe Landeskog scored at a 50-goal pace. He was the best goal scorer on the Avalanche team. It wasn't Miko and it wasn't Nate. It was Gabe. So this is a guy that had his best season at the age of 28-29. Um Val Nachushkin took a massive step. On defense, Devon Taves took a massive step. Somehow, Kale McCarr, coming off of second place in the Norris Trophy voting, which he should have won over Adam Fox, somehow he took a massive step. Well, now guess what? This regular season, you're about to see a massive step for, hopefully he's healthy, knock on wood, Bowen Byram. You're about to see a massive step from, hopefully he's healthy, Sam Girard. You're about to see Josh Manson for a full season. You're about to see Arturi Lekkinen for a full season and taking that next massive step. And then you still have those guys I mentioned in Newhook and Rodriguez. You got the question mark that is Ben Myers because to me, a kid coming out of college, like we saw it with Alexander Kerfoot, he was a 40-something point player his first season with the Avalanche. Who says Ben Myers can't do that if he gets enough minutes? And then you also have Alex Galchenyuk, who, you know, if he gets a contract, in my opinion, a 15-15 season, a 15-20 season, 30 to 35 points, that's a good step for a player like that as well. So we could be sitting here in six months and thinking, man, remember back to opening night when we were talking about how many question marks there was? It's not necessarily the fact that it's question marks. It's just how many of those question marks are going to end up having a thumbs up, you know, conclusion to them. The Avalanche had a lot of them last year. They're going to need a few of them again this year, which a lot of these players are set up for that success. Like, I need to reiterate that. Like, Newhook, you know this guy. I mentioned 
a month ago, I compared him to Tyler Sagan. Like he's got it in him to take that next step. Ben Myers is about to play. I want to get into Newhook because you, we brought him up a couple times already this episode, and I was saving it for the end here because after watching him a few days in training camp, I think he looks great. And of course, it's training camp. You don't want to put too many eggs in that basket and then him come out and, and, and look silly. But then you look a little bit at his stats. And he played 72 regular season games last year and 12 playoff games. So 83 games that this kid played. And that was essentially his first professional season, right? Yeah. So yep. jump, jumping in, he's, he's still trying to learn how to get used to it. We heard from Devon Taves how much muscle and power a run like that takes out of you especially from a young guy who just turns 21 still learning how to do it so I think this offseason was huge for him in a putting on a lot more muscle or I guess maybe putting it back replacing it and um, you know building off of what he was able to able to do skill wise I think he's he's just taken an amazing step to me already in training camp and I'm fully confident he's ready for the role that we're all expecting him to take I mean his shot looks good his speed looks amazing and again his strength looks like it's it's at a form that we haven't seen from him yet yeah and I've, I mentioned this again a month ago when we talked about it remember how I said Tyler Sagan his first year in the NHL he had 22 points and won the cup and then he came out and burst on the scene with a 45-point improvement to 67. Well, something that I often forget is, first of all, Newhook didn't play 82 games in the regular season last year. He played 71 before the playoffs. But That's what I said. In those 70, yeah. So in the, but well, he, still, I mean, played, I'm, but I'm he saying, still played 10 Eagles games. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying like in comparison to Tyler Sagan, he played 71 yeah, regular you. season games, and he had 33 points. That's not a bad point percentage. 33 and 71 for a rookie is pretty damn good, especially given the role he had and where he played. We talked a lot about shooting percentage. 113 shots, 13 goals. That's an 11.5% shooting percentage. If you get new hook up into the 200s, you're looking at a 28 goal score, and that doesn't take into account him improving his shot to maybe make 200 shots a 30 goal score now. So there's a lot of reasons why. And again, if he makes that same 45 point, uh, 45 point jump that Tyler Sagan did, well, now he's getting close to 80. So like there's a lot of things lining up for Newhook. I'm not saying he's going to get that 45 point jump. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he has more, but there's a lot of things lining up for this kid to take that next step. Yeah, I'm excited for him. I, and I I think it's here. Um I hope I'm not wrong and I hope I don't end up, end up with egg on my face, but just from what I'm seeing and the eye test at practice, he's take he's taken that next step and I'm excited for all the other Avalanche fans to hopefully agree with me once they see him at the ice as well. Yeah, and, and kind of what I what I expect Rodriguez's season to end up being is a little bit of a combination of Burakovsky and Abe Kubel in the sense where Bednar trusts him and he's got that reliability to be on the PK and play in all situations like Abe Kubel, but with more of an offensive pedigree like Burakovsky. doesn't mean he's going to get 60 points, but somewhere in the middle, maybe 48 points with the defensive abilities and the PK abilities of Abe Kubel and that tenacity that he brings compared to a skilled player like Berkey. So, you know, Rodriguez is here. We talked about it when he signed about how he's kind of that insurance, but for for Alex Newhook, but ideally like Newhook's your second line center, Rodriguez is that extra body. Right. Right. And then that makes the the whole cadre thing look obsolete, right? If Newhook was just waiting for that time to take the reins and then takes them and and never looks back. That's what we're all hoping for here. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I think it's uh and and I think the biggest thing as well with him is uh think of who he's going to be playing with, you know, if everybody's healthy, like it could be, we've, you know, we've 
brainstorm the four wingers over and over again, but it could be Lekkonen and, and Nichushkin, which are, you know, Val and Minival, as Bednar called them last year. It could be Landeskog <laughs> and Nichushkin. It could be Landeskog and Lekkonen. It could be Ranton. Like, there's so many different possibilities for this where, like, he's not playing with Burakovsky in comfort. He's not playing with Abe Kubel and Burakovsky. He's going to be playing with guys that are going to feed him the puck, and he's going to be able to feed the puck too. Like, he's he's in a position where he just needs to be reliable. All those things we just talked about, about Martin Kaut. Be good in your zone. Be good as a two-way player, and the offense will come because you're going to be in a position to succeed. You have no choice but to, especially for a guy that can shoot at an 11.5% rate. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. But, I, I, you know, unfortunately, I think that's going to be the pickle for the Avalanche this year is having a consistent lineup. I think they're going to be... Um, kind of juggling line combinations all year long because people are going to be in and out of the lineup, lingering injuries, and if all things go well like they did last season by the time playoffs come around, then everybody's healthy and everybody's maybe playing through some stuff. But until then, I I can easily see it being just a jambalaya of different combos. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and it was something Jared did last year and something I suspect he'll do again with kind of mixing and matching and, you know, Injuries will happen. Nichushkin played 62. Landeskog played 51. I'm talking regular season games. Like injuries are going to happen. And it's also going to give you that ability to, you know, give Ben Myers an opportunity, give Rodriguez an opportunity, and, and just really try out all these different guys just to know what you have heading into the playoffs when it matters. Something Jared executed so well last year throughout the regular season. You know, he's going to do it again. Yeah. I mean, it seems genius to me. Why not see all the possibilities so you know what to go with come playoff time? Um, kind of like TotalBev.com. You can get online and see all the possibilities there. You could even get them delivered to you. You can order them pickup. But everybody already knows Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits. But did you know they deliver? Did you know they have curbside pickup available? And did you know they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th and Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. Great friends of the podcast. Don't forget to check out Total Beverage. That brings us to uh, how we're going to wrap up the show today. We're going with this extra attacker. It lives to see another week. Arif, bring us the extra attacker for this week's episode. Our good friend, Kate Shefty, formerly of the Colorado Gazette, now working in Seattle for the Seattle Times, uh, had a really funny tweet the other day at Capitals, or not Capitals, Jesus, at, at Seattle Kraken training camp. And it was Philip Grubauer said he jokingly offered to keep a stall open for Burakovsky last year. Quote, I can't get rid of Berkey. I can't get rid of Berkey. He follows me everywhere. Uh, just a great tweet and one that gets you right in the feels. Uh, as an Avalanche fan that's been following this team for the last four to five years and Kate Shefty's work seeing the fact that the Avalanche traded for Grubauer. A year later, they traded for Burakovsky. Grubauer went to Seattle. Burakovsky followed him again. It just seems to be kind of going with him everywhere. So just a funny tweet and one that was worth sharing. Yeah, it is funny. And, you know, I remember when it happened and, and Jonas Donskoy gets picked by the Seattle Kraken. And then the Seattle Kraken also give Philip Grubauer a contract. You're like, all right, well, that's good for those guys. They can go over there as friends and, and make sure that they're not going and they're not knowing anybody, right? Because that'd be horrible yeah. for anybody to just be like, oh, this sucks. I don't know anyone. <laughs> so Burakovsky going over there, he's got the same thing. And I don't know. I always just like to have have that little 
treat for our former players, and that's something you look at Tyson Jost. He didn't quite get that luxury. Not only that, he had to go to a rival of the team. So poor, <laughs> poor Tyson Jost. And yeah. I'm sure everybody by now has heard uh, his comments about mm, watching, that's good one. watching the Avalanche win the Cup. So you feel bad for him, but he'll be in town tomorrow, and um, you know, hopefully no tears arise. Yeah, I... Uh... It's it's it, it was I mean it was a it was a tough one for Tyson Jost. We've been very forward on this podcast, and I know I have, and I'm not going to back away from the fact that I don't believe Jost had a spot on this team, on the ice, but off the ice, nice guy, genuine guy, gotta love him, gotta love Grandpa Jost and 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 Mama Jost, just just a wonderful family, great people, but uh, that one kind of str- hurts a little bit just because you know that kid wanted to be part of it so bad. Cool, cool. Well, I guess this is a good place to stop. It's a little bit shorter than our typical Sunday podcast, but I mean that comes on a Monday because the Avalanche decided to have a Sunday night football game. Yeah, and this <laughs> and this training camp is just different than any other training camp yeah. we've ever experienced. It just feels more like business as usual. Let's keep moving forward rather than any big storylines or, or news to t- to keep an eye on. And I feel like we talked about all those storylines, so yeah. that'll do it for today. We'll cut you short. Yeah, the- the, the, f- the fewer the question marks, the better your team is built. And if you're a Stanley Cup, defending Stanley Cup champion, you should have a pretty good built team. So that's that's where the abs are. Indeed. So, uh, yeah, we'll keep bringing you some more content throughout the week and throughout the season. So f- I guess that'll do it for this episode. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone. We out you.